You're listening to the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Exhibit H. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Bowman of the Yard podcast. It's August the 1st, 2020, so it must be Exhibit H. H, how did we get that far? What is the Bowman of the Yard podcast? Well, it's a podcast uh, dedicated to the Bowman of the Yard series of books written by me, Featuring Detective Inspector George Bowman. Uh, the four books, as they will be, and several short stories, are all set within the same year, 1892. And we follow George Bowman as he leaves a lunatic asylum in the first chapter of the first book to plunge back into the crime ridden streets of London, where he not only has to battle crime, but also has to battle his own personal demons. <laughs> That's my elevator pitch. What do you think of that? Very good. I, I'd certainly buy it. In fact, I have bought it several times over. Yeah, Peter, you you have several copies of the first book, don't you? I do. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm unique in that, but I have the, the original proof copy that you sent me, uh, the ones that you, you started uh, producing and, and selling on Amazon, and then, of course, a lovely new edition that arrived in the last couple of weeks from Sharp Books, which is lovely. Well, you are unique, because I think you must be the only person in the world, Peter, to have that original proof copy with that first cover that no one else has seen. Aha. Uh-huh. And no one else will ever see. I'm keeping it locked away. Peter, if you just you see on the mantelpiece over there, that Russian doll. Oh, yes. Yeah, if you just reach over there and just take just, that up. That's it. Oh, uh, yeah, just reaching for it. Yep. Okay. That's it. Take the top off. What do you see inside? Uh, another Russian doll. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, take the top off that. And then yep. what's... Uh, another doll. Oh, okay, keep keep going. Take the top off. Okay, yep. Ah. Ah. There. Little piece of paper. Just unfold that. Yep. And what do you have there? Well, I have a little list of what's coming up. We've got uh, all the latest news. We've got letters to the yard. We've got another author in the cells at Bow Street. And this month it's Hannah Cole. And also, I'm told that we have to stay tuned for the eighth part of the Smithfield murder. Yes, that's true. That's all part of Bite Size Bowman, my uh, narrated episodic visits to the first short story, The Smithfield Murder. Now, Hannah Cole, who we'll be hearing from a little later on, is a novelist and historian. She was born in Essex to an Anglo-Italian family. She studied economics at the London School of Economics and medieval history at Oxford, where she gained her master's. After living in Turin for several years, which sounds delightful, she travelled widely in the Middle East and India before returning to the UK. She's worked as a film subtitle translator, which sounds fascinating, a financial analyst and a yoga teacher. She now lives in Manningtree in Essex with her husband, daughter and two cats. I don't think she'll be bringing the cats with her, but she'll be locked in the cell in Bow Street a little later on to tell us all about her debut novel, The Devil's Crossing. Wow. What a fabulous CV she's got there. Peter, have you been watching or reading anything since we've last met? Well, I have, in fact, and I've been sort of keeping on topic with uh, Victoriana. Uh, I've been reading uh, Sherlock Holmes magazine. I've seen on Twitter this is a newly launched magazine, is that right? That's right, yes. Uh, Summer 2020, issue number one, Sherlock Holmes magazine. Lovely glossy edition, uh, lots of features, lots of things about uh, actors that uh, perform Sherlock Holmes and having to do so now in lockdown, so live uh-huh. theatre and audio yeah. productions, um, some retrospectives of all the, the movies, like The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Interesting. little article on Nigel Bruce. So, yeah, some really good stuff in there. I definitely recommend that for people who want to have a look. And how do we get hold of that, Peter, do you know? Twitter.com uh, slash Holmes magazine. So, but I'm sure if you, if you just sort of type into the old search engine, that would come up. 
And then I've been watching uh, on Talking Pictures, a bit of nostalgia, The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. It's a 1970s anthology series, um, which I think yes. was originally a book um, that was collected together by Hugh Green, who was a, a former director general of the BBC. Um, yeah. And some of those stories were adapted and made into uh, a Thames television series back in the 70s. Ah. Uh, lovely actors that, you know, those old actors that you're, you're sort of familiar with. So people like uh, Peter Vaughan that you might remember from Porridge. Yes. Uh, Robert Stevens, who of course has played Holmes himself. Yeah, wonderful. In this particular edition, playing a blind detective, Max Carados. Okay. So I'm really enjoying it. I, I'm in, I think I'm on episode six. Uh, so far, but they're, they're, they're screening them every uh, every morning at 4am, so I'm taping them, I'm not staying up to watch them. You're giving your age away there by saying you're taping them, of course. <laughs> and then there's a, a very simple voiceover that says, uh, in late Victorian London, there lived many detectives who were the rivals of Sherlock Holmes. And I suppose that's all you need to know. Absolutely. You know, short and to the point. Yeah, so that's the rivals of Sherlock Holmes on Talking Pictures TV. Yes, indeed. Well, from news in the world of Peter Crouch, shall we head over to some news from the world of Bowman of the Yard? Absolutely. Extra, extra, read all about it! Now, Peter, I can tell from the way you're sitting that you are desperate for some more Bowman of the Yard stories, aren't you? It's either that or I need to go to the toilet. (laughs) Well, you're in luck. Uh, firstly, because the toilet is just outside there, if you want to avail yourself while I do. But also, secondly, <laughs> there is a new Bowman of the Yard adventure available now. So how do you bide your time waiting for the next Bowman of the Yard novel? What if you've read all the short stories? Well, there's a new and exclusive short story in the latest anthology from the Historical Writers Association and Sharp Books. Would you like to hear the blurb? I certainly would. It says here, immerse yourself in the Victorian period through a diverse collection of thrilling short stories. Read about some of your favourite characters from established series, or be introduced to new writers in the genre. The stories in Victoriana bring the Victorian era richly to life with crime, murder and scandal set against the backdrop of the Boer War and a rapidly changing Victorian society. This striking new collection, brought to you by the Historical Writers Association, also includes interviews with each author. Find out more about their writing processes and what attracts them to the Victorian era. Authors featured include Elizabeth Gifford, Hilary Green, Kate Griffin, Tom Williams, and me. So if you need your fix of Inspector Bowman, there's a brand new short story, Last Orders, which tells of Bowman's investigations into the discovery of a man's body in his favourite watering hole, a silver cross. So, has Harris been poisoning the pies again? Ah, uh, naughty Harris, what's he been up to? <laughs> So you can find out more simply by going to Amazon and searching for Victoriana, a Victorian short story anthology from the Historical Writers Association and Sharp Books. Uh, Secondly, Mary Ann Yard is the curator of the Coffee Pot Book Club, and in June I spoke to her about the Bowman series, uh, as well as a little about my career as an actor, including my time on tour with various David Walliams stage plays, during which I finished the first book in the series, The Head in the Ice. Uh, So if you want to read that interview, then that's now online. So just go to Mary Ann Yard. That's all one word, and Anne with an E, and Yard with an E at the end. Mary Ann Yard blogspot.com and search for Richard James or The Head in the Ice to read the interview. I'm just wondering whether there's a, a, going to be a plaque um, to say which theatre dressing room you were in at the time when you finished the book. <laughs> yeah. Or... Yes, that's right. A lot of theatre dressing rooms, a lot of trains as well. Yeah, I bet. Yes, definitely. Oh, now I'm just looking through the net curtain here and 
There's a man downstairs struggling along with a very heavy sack. Who could he be? Is it the postman? Letters to the yard. Right, well, we've got a letter here from Rob Doyle. And he says, Hi, Richard. I'm finishing reading Last Orders and left a review. I just wanted to say I really enjoyed it. It must have been hard to keep to the word limit. Were there any parts you had to remove? As I said in the review, it's a great standalone story, but it's also a great companion piece to the series. How is book four coming along and will it be released this year? As always, stay safe. Thanks, Rob. OK, thank you, Rob, for getting in touch. I'm so glad you enjoyed Last Orders and thank you for leaving a review. Very nice of you. So if you do happen to read any of my books, leaving a review is the best thing you could possibly do. Uh, were there any parts I had to remove? I mean, there, it is a much shorter story than I'm used to writing. I think I was asked to provide up to four and a half thousand words or so. Normally my short stories are 13,000 words, so uh, what's that, three times the length? I think you pace yourself, don't you? Rather like if you say, okay, you've got to run 100 metres, you sort of mentally prepare yourself to run 100 metres, but if someone says to you, okay, you've got to run a kilometre, well, you mentally prepare yourself to uh, run a kilometre and you pace yourself accordingly. And I suppose it's similar when you write a story. There weren't any parts I had to remove, I simply wrote to the length that was required. So with that that sort of running analogy, do you have a, a finished line that you're aiming for? Did you know where you were going... Yes, I did. I think as I started it, uh, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to end. So the initial um, few paragraphs, obviously, we discover the body in the Silver Cross. So I wrote all that and then I thought, OK, how did he get here and who did it? Uh, I really didn't have an idea of, of the destination until I was uh, well into the writing. So you set yourself a problem and then you have to solve it. Yeah, exactly. In fact, the fourth book that Rob also asked about there, which I am writing at the moment, and yes, will be released this year, hopefully in October, in fact, certainly in October, uh, is the first novel I've written where I know who did it and why from the very first sentence. All the other novels I've written, I've had a vague idea, but sometimes I've changed direction halfway through. With this one, I've known from the beginning who it is, what they've done and why they've done it. And is that because it's the, the final uh, part of the four-part series? I think so. I've got a lot of loose ends to wrap up, so I have to be very careful that they are all tied up neatly. Uh, now, Alan got in touch to say, I'm loving the podcast, it's great, and the series of Bowman Bites. It's fabulous, so much better than text-to-speech. Uh, I can actually get into it as the synth. Can't speak Victorian or copper, and it ends up garbled and hard to follow. I laugh at the place names it comes up with, though. So obviously Alan's listening there on a bit of software that uh, converts text into speech, and it's having a few problems with the old uh, Victorian language and uh, place names and so on, which Sounds interesting. <laughs> and on a similar theme, Joanne Bennett got in touch to say, I definitely think we need more Bowman Bites. I've been enjoying listening to them as audios more compared to just reading them. Fair enough, Joanne. Thanks very much. Yeah, so Bowman Bites is the series of uh, episodes taken from a Smithfield murder. We'll be up to episode eight, which will be tagged on at the end of this podcast. But I'm also releasing them as singular standalone little things for you to download via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to us so that you can enjoy these little episodes. Once I'm finished, I think what I might do is stitch them all together and make a complete story and put that out there as well. And then, of course, we'll be heading into the next short story, uh, The Hackney Poisoning. Ooh. Oh, yes. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Well, we have uh, another letter, and it's from Rob again. Uh, Rob got in touch in response to some questions in the latest newsletter, which you can t uh, subscribe to at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk. So Rob says, Hi, Richard. I've read all the books and short stories, and I must say I've enjoyed them all. My favourite is The Body in the Trees. I love the rural setting and the attitude of the townspeople. That ending has stayed with me even though it's been a few months since I finished it. 
My favourite character? I want to say Bowman, but there's something about Robert Tompkins of the Hampstead Garrotting, which is also my favourite short story. I'd love to see him return to aid Bowman and Graves as a child or in the future as a newly recruited officer. He's someone who knows the streets and would really take the stories in a very interesting direction. What a fabulous idea. Yeah, that's lovely. Well, we know that we're uh, bringing Robert Tompkins back because I think we discussed this way back when we actually last met in person. Yeah. In the Silver Cross with uh, with Duncan Wilson, who was our guest. So yes, Robert Tompkins will be back uh, in the next novel. But also, of course, we have discussed before that once this initial series uh, is finished, we'll be taking a leap back and then a leap forward. Uh, so we will be dis- uh, discovering more about Bowman's future, 10 years in the future, uh, in 1902, by which perhaps Robert Tompkins might well be uh, old enough to feature properly. Mm. Mm. Uh, Gordon got in touch to say, I'm reading the novels and Inspector Bowman is my favourite character. You ask which characters should return. Gordon says simply, whomever you choose, which I rather like. Uh, and he finishes rather nicely by saying you are a great storyteller. Thank you very much, Gordon. That's very kind. And so say all of us. Now, on Twitter, uh, we have from Urban Spaceman 64 uh, he ran a poll. Oh. Uh, he says, I have a particular voice in my head when I read a particular character in a story. So I was wondering, when reading the Bowman of the Yard novels and short stories by Richard James, do you hear the voice of Inspector Ignatius Hicks as A. Brian Blessed, B. Donald Sindon, C. Ian McNeese, or D. Nicholas Courtney? And the winner was yes. Brian Blessed with 43.8% of the vote, <laughs> uh, with the rest split evenly between the other contenders. I-, I voted on that as well, and I went for Brian too. Yeah, some very good names there. Like Donald Sindon, I particularly like. That would work, wouldn't it? I also think of um, Christopher Benjamin. Ah. I think he's got that sort of fruity language, which I can imagine Hicks having, but with a sort of a gruffer style. We have listeners and readers all over the world, from Canada to New Zealand. We'd love to hear from them, so do send in your questions and comments via email to podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk or you can like our Facebook page, that's facebook.com forward slash bowmanoftheyard. Now, I know from my stats that three quarters of you listen on your mobiles and a third of you listen via Apple Podcasts, but wherever or however you listen, do subscribe uh, to make sure you hear every episode and while you're there, why not leave us a review? That would be very kind. Now, Peter, that's enough from our listeners for now. As you know, this is a very expensive podcast to maintain. It's at least threepence hate me every episode. And we do that by <laughs> taking money from our lovely sponsors. So I think it's about time we heard a word from them. Eyeglasses for chickens. Intended to prevent fowls from picking out each other's eyes. Make unique appearance. It might be supposed from a glance at these spectacles that chickens, like human beings, suffer from diseases of the eye, and that the inventor designed them as an aid in their search for bugs. But such was not his intent. The eyeglasses have been patented and are intended to prevent chickens from pecking out each other's eyes. A flock of them so equipped would present a very intellectual appearance. Eyeglasses for chickens! The Acme Moustache Guard Solid comfort while eating, no use for napkins. Neat and simple, easily and quickly adjusted. Does not interfere with free use of mouth. Works perfectly. Made of gold and silver plate, can be carried in vest pocket. Every genteel person should have one. Two sizes, large and medium. Ethel's edible undergarments. They taste like cake. The undergarments known around the globe. Scientifically constructed edible undergarments meet all of the requirements of health, comfort and taste, and are desired by men and women alike. 
Search the world over and you will not find a more unique and delicious pair of underwear. For sale by dealers everywhere. Ethel's Edible Undergarments. They taste like cake. They were fantastic. My favourite has to be chickens with spectacles. I think that's probably more about the appearance, I'd say. I think that they're... They're thinking, yeah, well, I want to look intellectual, so I'm going to get myself a pair of spectacles for chickens. <laughs> so uh, as you make yourself comfortable in your edible underwear, it's time to meet Hannah Cole in the cells at Bow Street. Hannah Cole describes herself as an author, historian, astrologer, cat lover, yoga enthusiast. Her debut novel, The Devil's Crossing, has now been published by Sharp Books. It's been described as a gripping read, a fantastic debut, and a fascinating view of the children's crusade. What's that? Well, let's hear more about it and her. You're nicked. Hello? Is there anyone there? Can you hear me? Oh, thank God. I've been down here for hours. I met a man, he said he said his name was Richard. He invited me to come and talk about my novel, but before I knew it, I was down in this cell. I guess you really can't trust anyone you meet on the internet. My name is Hannah Cole, and I'm a writer. Perhaps if I told you the story of my book, it might help while away the time. My novel is called The Devil's Crossing, and it's set in France in 1212, at the time of the Children's Crusade. Jerusalem had fallen to Saladin just over 20 years before. The Third and Fourth Crusades had ended in disaster and feeling was running high in Christendom. Against the backdrop of big social change, the rise of the monasteries, growing urbanisation and expansion of the towns, there came a call for the poor to rise up and attempt what the nobility had failed to do. Thousands of rural and urban youth responded but without the backing from the higher orders of society, it dwindled away. Chronicles tell of the parents' desperate search to find their children, but most of the child crusaders were never heard of again. Some of the children were lost to disease, starvation, others made it as far as Rome. Some even went on, seeking a way overseas. Rumour had it that they found a ship in Marseille willing to take them to Egypt, but they were sold into slavery by cruel merchants. The Devil's Crossing tells the story of Guy, a troubled priest, his beloved Agnès whom he rescued from the Inquisition and their child Etienne. Guy has spent years protecting his secret family, but when Etienne joins the Children's Crusade and the Inquisition arrests Agnès again, he finds his faith is tested to the limit. It's my first book and you can find it on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. I also have a short story out now, which is a sort of mini prequel to the novel, and that's out in a collection published by Sharp Books, and that's a medieval collection called By the Sword. You can also find me on Twitter at Hannah Scribe. That's if I ever make it out of here. Well, thank you to Hannah Cole in the cells there. Don't worry, I'll let her out soon enough. Do search for her book, The Devil's Crossing, published by Sharp Books, uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, now, Peter, I understand you have something more for us to do. 
So, following on from last month's typical Victorian meal, I really enjoyed the heron pudding. Made specially for you. Uh, here is some Victorian parlour games. Ah. Uh, Reverend Crawley's game. Everybody stands in a circle. Each player then holds hands with another player, but the hands may not be those of the person next to them, and they may not hold both hands with the same person. Right. This creates a large human knot. The group now has to work out how to untangle the knot without anyone letting go of any hands. This involves twisting and contorting and should end in one or two circles of people. Best played with about eight or ten players. Ah. Sounds a bit like Twister. Yes, now that does sound like the Victorian version of Twister. Okay, yes, we'll have a go at that in a moment. Yeah, what next? Uh, Snapdragon. Right. The game was simple. Fill a bowl with brandy, put several raisins or plums in the bowl, mm. and let them sink to the bottom, and light the brandy on fire. Okay. The entire object of the game was to retrieve the raisins from the bottom of the inferno without burning yourself too bad. What?! Uh, health and safety, I think, Peter. <laughs> health and safety out the window, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe not that one. Uh, what about the next one? Uh, finally, we've got bullet pudding. After the last one, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about this one. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Described by Fanny Austin Knight in 1808, uh, so a little earlier than Victorian times, but perhaps it survived further into the 19th century, she wrote... I was surprised that you did not know what a bullet pudding is, but as you don't, I will endeavour to describe it as follows. You must have a large pewter dish filled with flour, which you must pile up into a sort of pudding with a peak at the top. You must then lay a bullet at the top and everybody cuts a slice of it. The person that's cutting it when the bullet falls must poke about with their nose and chins till they find it and then take it out with their mouths. Right. The worst is that you must not laugh for fear of the flower getting up your nose and mouth and choking you. Uh, well, actually, I don't think that's the worst of it. No, yeah, having a bullet in my mouth might might be worse than that somewhat. Slightly more concerning. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Okay, well, I think we'll just stick with Reverend Corley's game, shall we? Although I do have some flour, and I think over there I've actually got a bullet on the mantelpiece as well from one of my previous uh, adventures. Good luck. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Right, let's uh, let's have a go at Reverend Crawley's game. Oh! Time, please, gentlemen. Let's have all your glasses. Uh, well, would you know it? Just as I was setting up the Twister mat. Saved by the bell. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, thank you for joining us yet again for the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Uh, thank you to you, Peter. Thank you to you, Richard. Uh, thank you everyone who's emailed in and to Hannah Cole for being our delightful guest in the cells this month. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Get in touch with us at podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk. Failing that, we'll see you for Exhibit I next month. Bye for now. The Smithfield Murder A short story from Bowman's Casebook by Richard James Part 8 Detective Sergeant Anthony Graves lay low. He'd felt every bump and rut in the road as he was carried along the narrow streets around Smithfield. Only once had he feared discovery. The cart had slowed as they left the market, and Graves heard Boothby's distinctive vowels but a few feet away. Drive safe now, Absalom. I take it you've left us some nice choice cuts this morning. Graves heard a chuckle from the driver, and then the whip cracked again. With a jerk, they left the market at speed, careening round the corner onto West Smithfield. Graves tried to keep a track of their direction. Once or twice he peered through a hole in the sheet, but beyond Clerkenwell Road he'd lost his bearings. 
Some forty minutes passed. Every muscle in his body complained at being held in such a cramped condition on such a cold night. Just as he feared he would freeze, Graves felt the cart slow. Daring to peek from beneath the sheet, he saw that they were now in open country. At the speed they had travelled, Graves guessed a distance of some eight to ten miles had been traversed. In which direction, he knew not. They passed a forbidding farmhouse and pulled up beside an old outbuilding, at which the driver jumped from his seat. From his cramped location, Graves watched as the man disappeared inside. A lamp was lit at a window. The sergeant waited a few minutes, then slowly pulled the sheet back. Crouching low, he dropped from the trailer and ran to a near-side wall, being sure to keep his body flat against the brickwork. He took the time to get his bearings. The outbuilding was of a single story and backed onto a rough yard surrounded on three sides by a wall. Long wooden poles were slung along its length, each studded at intervals with chains. A dozen hulking shapes loomed from the darkness. Graves moved a step nearer, the better to peer into the gloom. As a cloud passed the moon, the shapes revealed themselves. They were horses. Graves knew they had seen him, but none seemed to have the strength to react. He saw that they were old and grizzled. One had protruding ribs and running sores upon its back. Another had legs so thin Graves feared they would snap at any moment. Looking about him, he saw one on the floor. The unfortunate creature was lying prone in the dirt, its sides rising and falling in time to a hideous rattle. Clearly the beasts were near death. Graves uttered a soothing word or two under his breath, then made his way to the end of the yard. There, in an unceremonious heap by the door of a smaller building, was a pile of bones. Shoulder blades protruded from the mire. Great leg bones lay in haphazard heaps. A horse's skull lay on top of a pile, its sightless sockets staring blankly into the night. Graves shuddered at the sight. Putting his shoulder to the door, he eased into the shed behind the yard to be greeted by a stench like nothing he'd ever known. It stung his eyes and caught in his throat. Before him in the gloom, he could just make out a great, steaming vat. A viscous liquid bubbled and popped within. To his right, he saw a long butcher's block piled high with rough cuts of meat. Graves had seen enough. It was one thing if Oshihi and his ilk had been fraudulently selling horse meat at Smithfield Market. That the meat had its source at such a wretched and despicable charnel house was another matter entirely. A hand held over his face to stifle the smell, Graves made his way from the shed and into the yard once more. He regarded the horses sadly, standing for a moment in silence with them. Then, his face a mask of resolve, he took a breath to steel himself. Making suddenly for the perimeter, he bounded onto the cart at the entrance, snapped at the reins and steered it with a clatter back to the main road. In time, he hoped, he would see some landmark to guide him back to London. As he rattled through the gate, Graves noticed a hand-painted sign fixed to the fence at a crazy angle. Pushing the horse to give him yet more speed, he nonetheless had time to read the words printed on it as he passed. Harry Absalom. Knacker's Yard. St. Sepulchre's stood like a sentinel in the night. A haven of divinity in an area given to carnal fulfilment, it had withstood fire and plague and civil war. 
Inspector Bowman stood regarding the altar, lifting his eyes to the crucifix above. The figure of Christ was a fragile thing. How could such a slight figure withstand such pain, he wondered? How could anyone bear such pain? Bowman fought the inclination to kneel. He would not bend, or he would break. For a moment she was with him, her hand on his shoulder, her head inclined to his. She met his gaze and smoothed the furrow at his brow, and with a kiss, she was gone. Bowman felt alone. Turning about, he saw Sergeant Graves walking briskly through the transept door, his footsteps echoing up to the vaulted ceiling. That was reckless, Graves, Bowman admonished him as he approached. Desperate times call for desperate measures, sir. That's as may be, Sergeant, Bowman snapped. But I had rather you consulted me first before embarking on such adventures. Some adventure, Graves sighed. What did you find? Bowman asked. Hell, Inspector. Graves had lost his customary smile. I found hell, 